0: This story, this account, I should say, of the resurrection of Lazarus, this is wonderful stuff, isn't it? It really is so beautiful. So, John 11, verse 3. There's Lazarus sick, sick under death. The sisters therefore sent unto Jesus saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is is sick. And that's it. They don't say, and therefore come here quickly and resurrect him, and therefore do one of your long-distance healing miracles and sort out the problem. They simply inform the Lord of the situation. And that is something that you see really throughout scripture, that prayer ultimately is When I say an informing God, the Lord Jesus, of the situation, I don't mean that they don't know. Of course they know. And uh, maybe they sensed that Jesus actually did know the, the situation with Lazarus. But the point is, it is an opening of ourselves before God. This is the situation, Lord, that I am in. So many of those Psalms of David are like that. They're not actually suggesting to God the concrete form that he should answer the situation in. They're just simply stating the situation. And I suggest that in our prayer life we do that. That we open ourselves to God. And that whole process of kind of verbalizing the situation that we are in without any specific request, I think that that is... uh, It's helpful to us who are praying, um, and of course, it it throws us upon the the wisdom of God. We're there, as it were, telling ourselves more than Him, this is the situation, and I know that you can work through it. So, then, presumably, this was a messenger that came to tell Jesus this. this news. And you can sort of work out the chronology because when he hears that he stays for two days in the same place where he is and then when he gets to to uh, Bethany they say he's been dead four days. Now assuming it took a day for the messenger to go the messenger left and it would seem that uh, it took him a day say, to get to Jesus. Jesus stays two days where he is and then a day for Jesus to get to Bethany and Lazarus has been dead for four days. So then, I would imagine that Lazarus must have died pretty well soon after the messenger left. Now, what then is the answer of Jesus that he gives to the messenger to take back? Well, Jesus immediately says in verse 4, this sickness is not unto death. Now, the messenger didn't have a mobile phone, he didn't have email, the messenger would have returned with the message, Jesus has said, this sickness is not unto under, under death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified thereby. And I think that we can work out something else that Jesus told the messenger to say. If you have a look at verse 40... Verse 40. This is when Jesus has arrived and he's about to raise Lazarus and Martha says, oh Lord, don't open the the grave. It's going to be a terrible smell. He's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, verse 40, didn't I say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Now, when did Jesus say that? It's not recorded that he said that to her. But I assume that this is a reference to the, the message that he sent back with the messenger. So then he says, the sickness is not unto death. We've seen that in verse 4, but for the glory of God. And I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So the messenger came back and said, well, that's what Jesus said. But there's Lazarus dead. Now, it almost seems cruel, doesn't it? It almost seems cruel. But Jesus as he, he, you know, he says to the disciples plainly later on, look, Lazarus is dead. Jesus knew that. But he, he says but he, in, to the messenger, this sickness is not unto death. But he knew that Lazarus was dead. He says that plainly to the disciples before they go. So he, he perceived that Lazarus was dead. But he said to the messenger, go back and tell them that this sickness is not unto death. And if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So then, there are times in life when our situation that arises seems cruel. And that's why in in cynicism, one may even feel that God has been cruel. And until you've really suffered, uh, maybe you you wouldn't get that idea that you could ever think that God was kind of cruel. But I think as, as life goes on, uh, and well at least if you examine life and as some smart person said the unexamined life is whatever not worth living or isn't life or something like that um, the more you analyse life and look at it I mean you can get that impression we don't believe that there is a person called the devil or Satan up there doing, doing all this stuff it is all ultimately from God and that can lead to that uh, that sense but of course that the story goes on and we see that Jesus had a far longer term perspective than what they had. And this is how it is with us, that God is working to a game plan, that our lives are, are not just a, a passing series of, of chance incidents, some of which are very cruel, not at all. That God has a purpose, and he tries to focus them uh, In what he says to the messenger in verse 4, the sickness is not to death, but for the glory of God. And then when he says, it seems to the messenger from what we get from verse 40, if you believe, you'll see the glory of God, Um, he's focusing them all the time on the glory of God. That somehow God will always be glorified. And what do we mean by God being glorified? Well, I think it goes back to the declaration of God's glory to Moses, where Moses wants to see God and he wants to hear the name declared. He wants to to know the essence of God and God declares his glory. And out of the glory uh, Moses is told, I am, Yahweh, a God full of grace, of long-suffering, of justice, uh, of forgiveness but visiting iniquity upon sinners and kindness, justice, etc. So that the essential characteristics of God, of who he is, of his personality, character, that is his glory. And somehow he will work that out. And if we're on his side, then that is what we want to see worked out. And in a very wonderful way, God works even through total sin, human failure, death, sickness, limitation, failure, he works through all this. He is not beaten, neither by sin nor by its consequence and by its effect. He somehow works it all through to his glory, and if we, as it were, are caught up in the process from his side, in the end, it all comes true for us. So he says in verse 4, "...the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God." And then he says to her, also in the message I suggest, uh, from verse 40, And if you believe, Martha, you will see the glory of God. In other words, this whole incident has been set up to glorify God, but you've got to believe before you see, before you perceive that glory. And and this is, I suppose, the, the crucial point of Faith, isn't it? Um, that it is only by believing in what we can't see, in, in believing in this hand of God, that ultimately we make sense out of all this. Now, why was it in a sense cruel? Uh, maybe that's the wrong word, but I think you know what I mean. Uh, to send the messenger back saying this sickness is not unto death, even though Jesus knew and said plainly, Lazarus is dead. Why does he do that? I think it's the same reason as to, you know, when the disciples are about to drown on the lake, and Jesus comes walking on the water, and he makes as if he's going to walk past them. <laughs> Jesus, what are you doing, walking past us? Come here, save us. Why does he say to the blind man, "Well, sir, what can I do for you?" Well, that I receive my sight. Sort of, yeah, of course. In all those incidents, he does. This, these sort of things in order to pique our faith in order to uh, provoke our desperation so that for example when he's about to walk past the disciples about to drown well why does he walk past them or appear to walk past them so that they will cry out in even greater faith and urgency you are our saviour come and save us." why does he say to the blind man well what do you want Because he wants to focus the man. And it's like when he's walking on the on the way to Emmaus with the two disciples, and he makes out as if he's going to walk further. Oh no, no, please, 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 come in. Don't walk, don't go any further. And in your life and in mine, that is what's going on. And that to the cynic is and to the the person weak in faith is the apparent cruelty of God. But it's not cruel. It is to bring us firmly onto his side and the tragedy of situations. And, you know, life is tragic and we try to cushion ourselves and and talk ourselves around in a a way of thinking that it's not. But, you know, life is tragic. Uh, And why is it that way? It is to bring us to him. Totally and fully. The other thing I take out of that is Jesus saying uh, this sickness is not unto death but then he says, look, Lazarus is dead is to show that to him death is not real from his side, death is not real death does not, in that sense exist, and this is a theme that we're going to bring out in, in this whole study this sickness is not unto death when Lazarus was dead you remember how Jesus talked about God's perspective, that God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because all live unto him. Now, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are dead. But from, and there's no immortal soul. They're, they're not sort of uh, living with God, as it were, in heaven, uh, in a personal form. But God is so aware of them, and because he, in one sense, is outside of time, they live unto him. There is no immoral soul, but in one sense, the spirit, the essence of a person, is with God because he doesn 't forget he knows how they were, and they lived to him, just as in a sense, for us, those whom we have loved, who are now dead, live they being dead yet speak in our hearts in our in our recollections, and of course our memories fade and are corrupted and are dysfunctional but God's memory is, is not like that. And yet Jesus still wept over it when he was there. And what, you know, So although for him he was beyond death and he saw things from God's perspective, I mean there he is standing outside the grave about to resurrect Lazarus, I think if I were here, i might have had a smile on my face. Like, okay guys, okay, okay, you're weeping, but one, two, three, Lazarus come forth. I mean, I would have said it with a smile on my face. But he wept. In other words, he still sees things from our human perspective, and I think that is absolutely wonderful. So then Jesus had said that this sickness is not to death, but for the glory of God. And yet he also says in verse 42 to Martha, when she clearly is not, her faith is not that strong. And she says, ah, oh, you know, don't open the grave. I mean, it's going to be a horrible smell from the decaying flesh. He said, didn't I say to you that if, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. So this whole thing was in a sense a potential. He's saying, that, yeah, it is for the glory of God, but that depends upon your faith. And I, her comment outside the, the grave, like, "I, you know, don't take the stone away. Um, I, I think you can say that her faith, was, although she, she hoped, I guess, for a resurrection, um, I would say her faith was not at all strong at all. So then a condition is set up here. If you would believe, if you will see the glory of God, she fails that condition. And yet, all the same, by grace, Jesus still raises Lazarus. And there's a number of things like that in the Old Testament. Uh, Exodus 19, uh, God says to Israel, If you will be obedient, if you will fulfill my law, then you will be a kingdom of priests and the holy nation unto me. They did not fulfill that law, and yet, God does talk about them as his kingdom and a kingdom of priests and the holy nation in, in later scripture. And so this is grace. This is, this is grace. And this is an eternal nail in the coffin of all legalism. To say, well, you know, God has said, if you do this, then I shall that. And we don't. We don't do it very fully, like Martha did not do it ultimately. She didn't strongly believe that humanity got in the way. And yet, all the same, God's intention, God's desire came true. And he's our father. Yeah, you say to children, if you, if you do this, then I will give you that. And they don't quite do this or that or the other, but you still give it to them. Now, of course, we're on slippery ground here, because you can say, oh, yes. so God's kind of not serious. So it's okay, guys, relax, sit back and enjoy the flight. Um, it, it's all going to be fine, uh, because, well, you know, just yeah, make a bit of effort and God will see to the rest. Not at all. Actually, this thing cuts the very opposite way. That if this is the gracious God and Lord Jesus that we deal with, then does not that inspire you as it does me to not be at slack, as it were, but to respond to that grace. Paul talks about grace reigns, grace rules. Grace forces us in that sense. It inspires us to the life of commitment and not to the... uh, the life of uh, semi-faith and giving up and shrugging and all that, not at all the wonder of that grace that the God whose word cannot change does at times change his word change his um, conditions if you like Um, because he loves us then I think that that inspires us quite the other way verse 6 well verse 5 now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus when therefore he heard that Lazarus was sick he stayed two days still in the same place where he was now that is profound he doesn't say oh yeah Lazarus is about to die sure right I'm coming straight away drop everything hey guys come here right we're moving we're going to have a forced march through the night we're going to get there uh, as soon as we can because he loved them he stayed where he was for two days now, that, I think, is the most exquisite answer, comment, commentary, shall I say, upon the apparent silence of God. That because he loves us, therefore there is this apparent silence. It's rather like in Mark 5, 22, if you're making notes, Mark 5, 22, Jesus is on the way to heal, or to raise, as it was, Jairus' daughter, and like, quick, 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 and, oh, there's this woman with a blood issue who, uh, throng, who's part of the throng around him and touches his clothes and he stops and says, um, who touched me? And you know, he gets into this conversation with this woman and says, well, your faith has made you whole, not the touch of my garment uh, and all that. Um, and the others must have been thinking, quick, 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 uh, sort that woman out later. You know, she's going to live till tomorrow. Uh, but Jarvis' daughter was at the point of death. Quick, quick, quick. Every second counts. Now, the apparent delay, I not from a human point of view, it's not apparent delay, it's actual delay. Uh, the silence of God, as it seems, does not mean that He is far away. He actually is, if you like, more passionately feeling for us, as it were, at those moments than maybe at others. And He feels, particularly through the Lord Jesus, Our human urgency. I want it now. I need it now. And it's got to be right now, as quick as possible. But he has this longer-term game plan, and I I find find that beautiful. Now Jesus has been stoned, or been. uh, They talked about stoning him in in chapter 10, and so the disciples are pretty nervous about going to Judea. He says no. They say no. You know, you're going to go there again. Verse 8. And Jesus says, well, there's 12 hours in the day. If a man walk in the day, this is John 11, verse 9. If a man walk in the day, he stumbles not because he sees the light of this world. Well, he's earlier said, I am the light of the world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbles because there is no light in him. Now, I think then that the disciples were thinking, it's so dangerous to go to Judea. Let's, um, Let's walk through the night so nobody sees us. And Jesus is saying, no, nope. we're going to go in the daytime. We're going to go openly and transparently because we are walking in the light. So many times we have these situations in our lives. Should I risk something for somebody else? And we think, ah, no. I don't think so. That That's foolish to do that. It may be in terms of financial generosity. It may be in terms of of sacrifice, of time, of effort, of all kinds of things. And we think, should I do that? Should I risk it? There's consequences. And Jesus is saying, look, if you walk in the light, and I am the light of this world, don't fear. If you're properly motivated, it will all work out okay. You don't have to go through the night fearful. Put your fear away. We're doing the right thing for God and even if you stand with your back to this world, God ultimately will, will reward you. It's rather like Jesus says in that parable of the, the friend at midnight. If you really haven't got anything to give this person who comes at midnight, then you will go and knock on your neighbor's door and say, Please give me some bread because I have to entertain this person who's come and I don't have anything to give him. And he says, Jesus says, that in the same way, God will definitely answer your prayers if they are for somebody else, for the work of God, for the glory of God, you can be assured that if your need is genuine, it will be met. And uh, I can testify to to the truth of of that. So then, verse 12. Don't say his disciples, well, Jesus said, uh, our friend Lazarus is fall asleep but I go that I may wake him up and the disciples say well if he's sleeping he shall do well, he shall recover the RV says, he shall be saved is actually the, the word and Jesus says now look okay I'll tell you straight, Lazarus is dead but what you take from that I, I think is that they were talking on one level and Jesus was talking on another. And I think the, the record is framed here in John 11 uh, to show that huge gulf of, uh, of of difference of perspective, that Jesus was in one sphere, using and interpreting language on one level, and they were on a very human level. And of course, who wrote the Gospel of John? Well, it was John, um, under inspiration. So it's as if in John's preaching of the Gospel, as he recounted, to other people what his experience had been of, of the gospel and it was eventually uh, written down and transcribed and under inspiration we have the gospel of John he uh, was bringing this out, he was as it were uh, poking a bit of fun at, his, uh, at himself and you know, saying to people, "Look, can you not see how dumb we were how we were on this one level and he was on another so when you feel misunderstood, and we all do in this world And when you feel that you're simply on one sphere and the the people you live with, work with exist with are on another well you're fellowshipping something of the sufferings of of Jesus and you know when Thomas then says verse 16 uh, well let's also go that we may die with him you know you sort of love Thomas but then you think well you, you were so miles away in your understanding weren't you? Verse 15 is pretty profound as well. I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent that you may believe. But they already believed. There's a a number of passages in the Gospel of John, and I I can uh, let you have them later if you wish, where we're told that he did something, and there they believed in him. It's as if he had a game plan with these guys, and progressively their faith sort of rose up to higher levels. And there is in life I think, in spiritual life such a thing as uh, spiritual levels of of growth in faith that you come to one point and yes you believe, but then through experience and through God's hand in our lives we come to to another so Jesus is saying that uh, yeah, if I had been there, he would not have died why? because nobody could die around Jesus with his physical presence, because he was beyond death and incidentally both Mary and Martha both say the same to Jesus if you had been here our brother would not have died so they perceived that death in that sense was not real to the Lord Jesus and as I said earlier that's why he says the sickness is not under death even though he knew Lazarus was dead because he was somehow beyond death when he, he, he says um, in verse 16 let uh, sorry um, 15, Jesus says, Let us go unto him, to Lazarus. It's as if Lazarus is still alive, even though he was dead. And incidentally, I mean, that's a good proof there's no immortal soul, that Lazarus was not up in heaven. Jesus says, Let us go unto him. Uh, let's go to Bethany, that's where he is. And Jesus speaks as if Lazarus is alive. Now, later on in the record, there's this. Uh, Thing when Jesus arrives and Martha comes out to meet him and talks, and then Jesus says to Martha, "Go and get Mary," and uh, so I send a messenger back to Mary, say, "Hey, you know, the master's coming. He he's calling for you." Why didn't Mary go out to meet Jesus? Well, I don't know, but I, I would hazard a guess that because she would have been involved in the burial process, uh, the embalming process, she was unclean. That's why she stayed in the house. And Jesus is saying, look, it's like he's not dead. Now you act merely, please, as if you're clean. You're not unclean. You didn't have contact with a dead body. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Because to Jesus, Lazarus was alive. And I think also in verse 44, when he commands them to go and touch Lazarus, to go and uh, take off the grave clothes, I mean, there would have been a a, a huge Jewish... uh, dislike of doing that but jesus is saying basically look, you're not touching a dead body you're not going to be unclean. so then jesus acts all the way through here as if death for him is not real and he says these very very wonderful words in verse 25 i am the resurrection and the life not i will be the resurrection, but I am right now. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. It was wonderful words. He's saying that I am giving you eternal life now. Now of course we know that we, we die, and even Lazarus died again. But the point is that if we are living the life that we will eternally live in the kingdom, the life of grace, of love, of joy, of peace, joy in the Holy Spirit, Kindness, glorifying God, then we are living the kind of life that we will eternally live. And so, in that sense, we have the eternal life, even though we shall die. And, you know, this is an answer to Martha's comment I know he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day, verse 24. And Jesus is saying, Well, yes, but the essence is that right now I am, not I will be, but I am the resurrection. Uh, in the Greek it comes out a little bit more strongly. Verse 24, she's saying he will rise in the resurrection, the future resurrection. And Jesus uh, alludes, as it were, to her choice of tense and says, but I am right now the resurrection. Now, the fear of death is the most fundamental of human fears. And the fact that people may not perceive that just indicates to what extent it is such a fundamental fear. There is, I suggest, a fear of endings. A fear of endings in all human relationships. A fear of what may be the ultimate consequence of this behavior, that habit, or this relationship, or whatever it might be. Where's the end? And the, it sort of comes to its ultimate term in our fear of death and there's a wonderful passage in Hebrews where we're told that because the Lord Jesus was our representative, lived and died and rose again for us therefore we have been delivered from the fear of death and we we might have lived all our lifetime in bondage he says to the fear of death but now we are free from that and so I want to ask you are you free from that fear of death? because that is the most liberating thing that we can have that is the source of of joy and of positive life that we are not in bondage to that fear that we look beyond now I want to talk a little bit about the, uh, the mediation of Jesus because okay verse 22 Mary says to him sorry Martha says I know that even now, whatever you will ask of God, God will give it to you. Now incidentally, that uh, Greek word translated ask, it it specifically means of an inferior asking a superior for something. Whatever you will ask of God, beg from God you will get. That's a pretty hard one for the Trinity to uh, cope with, but uh, just mention that en passant. So, when she says that, she clearly has the, the hope, vague hope, that, well, you could, I think, put off a resurrection. I mean, he'd raised the widow's son at name already before this. Um, you could put off a resurrection, but she, she's too, uh, whatever, to actually say that in bold, direct terms. And Jesus, of course, knew her heart. He knew that's what she really wanted, although she couldn't verbalize it. He read her mind. He knew, of course, what she wanted. He perceives what we really want. When we talk to him and we ask him for things, he perceives what the essence of it all is. Now, I want to put together a few passages in your mind. When we go on and we're going to read about 33, uh, Jesus groaning in his spirit, troubled in his spirit, and weeping. This is the language that we meet in two other places, three other places. One is the record in Gethsemane, where the same word for troubled occurs in chapter 12, verse 27, and 13, verse 21. Jesus was 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 groaning in his spirit, troubled in his spirit, sweating. Uh, Tears are as if drops of blood in Gethsemane. Uh, and I want to connect that with Hebrews 5, verse 5, that says that Jesus offered up strong crying and tears on the cross. So then, him weeping and groaning and troubled in his spirit uh, at this time uh, in John 11 is similar to actually what he did in Gethsemane and on the cross. And then in Romans 8, we're told the same sort of uh, words, we meet the same sort of language, where we're told that Jesus mediates for us now with those very same groans. Romans 8, uh, 26, the Spirit, the Lord the Spirit, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, uh, that's the Lord Jesus, uh, helps our infirmities because we know not. What we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself, Jesus, makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. So then, what are we uh, seeing here? I think we're seeing that Jesus, when he's here weeping, groaning, etc. in spirit in John 11, this is him asking God for the miracle. This is Jesus mediating uh, their desire, their unspoken desire for the resurrection to God. He's weeping and groaning in prayer to God. And that's why the the word in 35, Jesus wept, is different to the word about the Jews weeping. Uh, They were weeping with tears. This word, it's the Greek word in 35, Jesus wept, is a different word. And it's sort of. silent weeping. That's the idea. So that he's interceding for right now. And it was the same sort of intercession that he did on the cross. And Romans 8 says that that is what goes on right now. So this snapshot, this cameo, as it were, this little picture of Jesus interceding for them here, this is a picture of what is going on in heaven for you and me right now. Not as it were a translator translating from one language to another saying well God, yeah, what a guy said was um, uh, please uh, please heal me from my sickness, no that's not the idea of this intercession this is Jesus reading the mind of the spirit reading the spirit of uh, Martha what she really wanted when she shyly says well I know that whatever you ask of God, God will do for you Uh, and interpreting that or not interpreting it but uh, uh, mediating that to God in terms of pleading. Now that is why in Romans 8 it keeps talking about the spirit. Our spirit is one with his spirit. And just looking at Romans 8, 22, the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And we ourselves also groan within ourselves. And then we read 26, That Jesus makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So then our groanings become his groanings. Before the throne of God himself. And so when Jesus saw them weeping. 33 John 11.33 When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping with him. Uh, weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and Jesus wept, now I know it's a different word for weeping the point is he saw their weeping and even though he knew that he was going to just about resurrect Lazarus he says to them, uh, he he says to God sort of thing, like, they're weeping, I'm weeping I am their representative, please therefore understand their spirit, their innermost desire and raise him so then we can say in a rather cold sort of way that uh, Jesus was our representative but what does that mean how if you like mechanically does that work well I think it works through him being 100% empathetic to us they wept they subconsciously wanted that resurrection and so he felt the same Now, as I said, if I was going to raise Lazarus, I'd have had a big grin on my face. Like, don't worry. Don't worry, girls. Can I raise your brother? Here we are, Lazarus come forth, but instead he's weeping. Why? Because he was so 100% empathetic with them. And It's a great um, challenge to us to be truly empathetic with people. Now, what concerns me saying all this is that I suspect that in many lives there is not any sense of groaning. There is a sort of a numbness, a comfortable numbness that has come over people. And there is no groaning, there is no um, real feeling, no passion. We live in a a postmodern, emotionless age where there's nothing to really groan about. There's a sort of a dumb acceptance of. The bad things in life, but let's, let's just get on. But people are existing, you see. They're not living, they're existing. But if we take life seriously, and live life more abundant, as Jesus said, he came to give us life. Um, a new kind of life. Then suddenly, yes, there are things to groan about. There are inner desires. And our spirit longs for certain things. We long, Romans 8, for the redemption of our body. We long for the coming of the Lord. We long for his glory to be done. We long for people whom we meet to come to him, to to quit their crazy existence and to really live up to their potential in, in him. So then, when you pray and you don't know quite what to say, or even when you simply can't verbalize it, uh, we, we, we can't. We're not in touch with ourselves fully. He knows the mind of the spirit. He knows what is really in your heart. And this is where to be spiritually minded is so important, because what you ultimately want in your spirit is what you will get. And that's, uh, you know, do do I want to be in the kingdom of God more than anything else? Do I want to see God's glory more than anything else? That's what's so, so important. And the Jews saw Jesus weeping and they said, behold how he loved him. In his body language, as he wept within himself... These, this is the equivalent of that sort of Greek implies when Jesus wept this is the equivalent in Romans 8 that Jesus the Lord the Spirit makes intercession with groanings that cannot be uttered that are not uh, spoken that are not uh, verbalized through vocal cords uh, they said behold how he loved him in other words his body language exuded love and there in heaven is Jesus he is there and he is doing this for you and me with that same love, this is His love for us—to mediate for us, to beg God for us—and there we are. Can't even make time to pray very often as we should. Think, ah, oh, yeah, I should, should, yeah, yeah, pray about that. And we're cuddled up in bed, and the next we know, it's the alarm—the alarm clock's going off, and it's morning. But Jesus is there in heaven, mediating for us. So then. he comes to the grave and Martha says oh you know don't roll the stone away because he's been dead four days it's going to be a horrible smell you know her faith is really not 100% at all the humanity of the situation gets uh, on top of her now Jesus had said to her in verse 26 whoever believes and believes in me shall never die do you believe this? because he knew she wanted a resurrection of Lazarus and he's sort of saying do do you believe that I am beyond death? And she said, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he that is, that, that is to come into the world. And then she goes away and calls Mary. Now, I'm not sure that she really answered his question. He's basically saying, like, you, you've told me, whatever you ask of God, you're going to get. Yes, I know, Mary, you want your brother resurrected, but uh, on, do you believe this? I sent you a message that said if you believe, you'll see the glory of God but do you believe this? and she says, I believe that Christ is the Son of God now I wonder if that was not a quotation almost as we might use a statement of faith as if this was a stock answer look, I've signed up to you Jesus yes, I can say the right words I believe it you are the promised Messiah and you are the one that we were waiting for and the Son of God But I think the point is, okay, you can say the right words, you can rattle off a confession of faith, but do you really believe? And the other issue, uh, do you believe that he is beyond death and that for you and for those in him, death is no longer an item? I think we see here a big difference between hope and faith. I think she hoped, but I don't think she believed fully. And when it comes to the final moment outside the tomb, I think she, she does not She sort of vaguely hopes. Now, you know, this is self, some room for self-examination. Do we hope? What do we believe? Because if you believe, you know. And you have the, the, the full assurance of faith. And that is not quite the same as uh, as hoping. So in a sense she believed and in another sense she didn't. Um... And that's Mark 9:24 all over again. This classic incident when a man says to Jesus, "Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief." And we're all really in that situation. But Jesus, as always, the master of the uh, of the whole situation. 41. Jesus, when they'd lifted, they'd taken the stone away. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, "Father, I thank you that you've heard me." I love the way that Jesus prays to God, lifting up his eyes. uh, He can lift up his eyes to to the sky and pray to God. It's obviously struck the Gospel writers because several times they record it. And again, that's a challenge to self-examination. Is your conscience such with God? And is your faith in his forgiveness of you in Christ, in his love for you, his acceptance of you, is it such that you can lift up your eyes to the sky and pray? I know that at times when, of course, we have to be like the publican who would not lift up his eyes to heaven, beat upon his breast. There is that, and there is also the joy of the good conscience. Now, Lazarus at this point has not been raised. The stone has been rolled away, and Jesus said, I thank you that you have heard me. Before there was evidence of the answer, he believed He believed that he'd been hurt. And that is the great pattern for us. Mark 11, uh, 24, Jesus said, All things, whatever you desire, when you pray, believe that you have received them, and you shall have them.
1: Now again, that's a
0: challenge. If we're confident that we're asking for the right thing, you've got to feel and act as if you have received it, even though the, the evidence for the answer is not yet in front of you. It's, yeah, we've got to have the same perspective that God has. Romans four seventeen. God talks about those things which are not as though they they were, and that's how God sees things, and that is the perspective that we are invited to have as well. And then He says, "I know that you hear me always." Forty two. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that you sent me. But Lazarus has not yet risen. It's only in 43 that he cries with a loud voice and says, Lazarus, come forth. So when he says in 42, because of the people that stand by, I said it. Is that the right tense? Well, it it is. But I think it's a prophetic perfect. That is, he's saying, well, I'm going to say it. Lazarus, come forth. But I know it's all as if it's already happened. So his faith was beyond faith. It was total. He was so sure this was going to happen. And so Lazarus came forth with a loud voice. He says, There's not muttering it, not hoping for the best, but knowing it. And Lazarus came forth. And by the way, 44, his his face is bound with a napkin and Jesus said, loose him and let him go. And the idea of let him go in the Greek is very much, don't hassle the guy. Just let him go home. Just uh, leave him alone. Let, Let him go home. Let him depart. That's the idea. Let him depart. And I love the way that Jesus was so sensitive for the needs of the resurrected. Remember the little girl he raised? They were all jumping around up and down. Well, it doesn't say that, but, you know, they would have been. And he says, give, us, give the kids something to eat. Give the kids something to eat. <laughs> I, I, I love the way that he was the master of the situation. I just love that. Because it, it's a window into his extreme sensitivity to the human condition. And, of course, in that, it's a paradigm for each of us. Because to be sensitive to another is something you meet very rarely. It's hardly part of humanity in this world in which we live where it's every woman or man for themselves. Well, the story has a... Well, it's not a story. It's a... The incident has a a sad ending, really. 45. Many of the Jews saw this. They believed on him, but... 46, some went to the Pharisees and they make a council and they decide to kill him. People are driven two ways. And you and I, as we come before this record, and as we now, in the breaking of bread, come before the symbols of the, the blood of Christ and his body, we also have <clears throat> we're at a T junction. You turn one way or the other. There is no third way, there cannot be. And thank God, in a way, it's, it's like that. But there's no third way. That we either believe this and are strengthened. Or actually we turn away. It's, you know, the whole cruelty... I keep saying it's a wrong word, but... Um, I start off by saying that... The um, whole situation was almost cruel, that um, Jesus said, This sickness is not unto death. Go and tell him the sickness is not unto death. But he knew Lazarus had died. Uh, it was to, to, to make them jump one of two ways because he could have turned up there at Bethany and they could have said look here you sent a messenger back saying the sickness is not under death and he's died so hands on hips you know what sort of saviour are you but they didn't to their credit although their faith was weak and was not ultimate <clears throat> yet they, they perceived that something was going on there and that God had them in his grip still And they did want, in the end, to work and wait for the glory of God. Now, this incident, the death and resurrection of Lazarus, is full, as you might have perceived as we read through the chapter, it's full of reference to the death and resurrection of Jesus. I mean, when Jesus says, so uh, where have you laid him? I mean, it's exactly what Mary is going to say to the gardener, as she thinks. Um... The, uh, outside the grave of Jesus. The whole thing is shot through with reference to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And uh, I think that's because it's this incident, which according to the later part of the chapter from 47 onwards, um, it was this incident that made the Jews decide that they must kill Jesus. And this opens up another perspective on verse 4 when Jesus said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. The whole idea of the Son of God being glorified is usually used about the death and resurrection of Jesus. So I think Jesus is saying, This sickness is not unto death of Lazarus, but in fact it's going to end up with God being glorified and the Son of God being glorified thereby in that... This incident, what I'm going to do, is going to lead to my death and my resurrection. And that's why his whole weeping and groaning and troubledness in, in spirit, we've said, was repeated on the cross and in Gethsemane. So then, wrapping up now, the Lord Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The, the Jesus who so felt for their tears, who read their minds, is the same Jesus who with that same intensity wept in Gethsemane and prayed with strong cry and tears to God, Hebrews 5, verse 5, when he was on the cross. And Romans 8, it's that same intercession, that same intensity that he had in his time of dying, in his time of uh, mediating for, for these two women here to, to get to God to raise their brother. It's this same Jesus with whom we have to do. He, as these Jews simply observed, he so loves us. Let's go away and keep on thinking about that. Thank you.